Hello and welcome to You Irons, West Ham podcast from The Athletic. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Sam Delaney. As always, I'm joined by Rashane Thomas, uh, The Athletic's top West Ham correspondent. Hello, Rashane. Hi, Sam. And uh, we're also delighted to be joined by another club legend, uh, former captain in a golden era for West Ham, the one, the only, Mr Alvin Martin, live from lockdown. Hello, Alvin. Great. How are you doing, Sam? Very well, thanks, mate. Very well indeed. How's lockdown life proving for you? Uh, well, it's mild. I suppose it's, it's it had an impact on everyone, but um, I'm getting lots of jobs done. I'm, I'm doing jobs yeah. that I wouldn't have uh, tackled three weeks ago. But the, the the worrying thing is I'm running out of jobs, Sam. So uh, that list is getting yeah. smaller, and I'm going to have to be uh, coming inside, I think, and spend a bit more time with my wife, which might be more difficult <laughs> then. I don't know. <laughs> um, are you? Are you, do you miss watching football? And if so, are you finding any way to do it? Digging out any of your old uh, videotapes, looking back over your, your golden goals? It hasn't come to that yet. I think it would have to get desperate for me to do that. Um, <laughs> but I think the, 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 it's just weekends, uh, you know, they're, they're all sort of delving into one now, aren't they? What day mm. are we in? And um, mm. It's like Christmas. You know, you lose what track of what day it is. But like the yeah. weekends were always the thing that you look forward to because you had wall-to-wall football and... Yeah. Lots going on and interest and highs and lows and it's this is just a plateau of nothing at the moment in terms of sport and interest. So I think what it does, Sam, it brings home obviously the the, the, the importance of things and we get it. We obviously health is everything, but the next thing to health is sport and interest. In my from my point of view, and many millions of others, and that 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 big hole that it's left, not having it around. You keep him fit, mate. Well, I am doing. I'm doing some stuff where I'm, I'm barrowing stuff in and out and laying some cobblestones, and they're heavy things. So I'm, I'm staying fit in that respect. But um, walking the dog uh, for our half an hour in the morning is about as good as it gets. Well, mate, we really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us. Um, we're going to talk about. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Athletic have got going on. At the moment, um, Rashane, tell us a bit about that. You're, you're talking us through the top three, or people are nominating their top three West Ham goals ever. Is that right? Well, we're actually doing our top three greatest goals from uh, from each club. So each club reporter has, you know, wrote a piece about their top three or the three favorite goals, and um, I, I submitted my top three. Uh, it's caused a debate how <laughs> much right. West Ham fans. Of course, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen. Before we ask Alvin, Alvin, you get thinking about your three favourite goals because we're going to put you on the spot about that later in the in the episode. But first, um, I thought we'd talk over what's going on, what's been going on with West Ham so far this season, and your views on that, Alvin. What what were your thoughts as the lockdown sort of came about and the season had to come to that abrupt end? What were your feelings about West Ham and whether or not we had a chance of survival? Well, it's it's been a helter skelter sort of emotional uh, roller coaster, Sam. You know, from being so upbeat at the start of the season and seeing everything just click into place, and thinking, you know, I know that even when the players were coming into this season, they were thinking about top six, and then you know, approaching Christmas, you you think, oh, this isn't this wasn't planned, this wasn't scripted, and, and some of the problems that we were having and the fixtures that we had facing us as well, Sam. I started to get really worried. Um, and then obviously the the unprecedented time that we find ourselves in and the halt to the season, um, 
it's probably given us time to to take stock. We had that big win um, against Southampton, which was the must-win game. There was probably one against uh, Brighton as well, which would have, uh, I think, springboarded us into a better position. But like the the one against Southampton was cards on the table. If we hadn't have won that game, then I would have backed us to go down. I think that that performance and the fact that we we had goal scorers. Um, I think Haller, you know, scored a goal and he needed a goal badly. Then Bowen scores, you know, another big goal scorer, Antonio. And when you you mention those three players, if we come back into the season, and and I'm sure that we will have to get the season finished, those three players, you would feel we've got real firepower in our team. So that fills me with hope. The the running and again the remaining games that are left. Fill me, fill me with hope. That none of them are easy, but that I think if we are playing well, and if we come back into this season when it does restart, Sam, I think there'll be a freshness and, and a vibrancy that wasn't there maybe six, eight weeks before the lockdown. You mentioned Bowen there. I wanted to ask you about him because he he came to the club in January, and Moyes didn't pick him right away, which was frustrating because we all wanted to see him. And Moyes kept making the point that, you know, he's come from the championship. It's a big step up. We can't rely on him. He seemed, as soon as he got his chance, to be immediately at ease with playing for us in the Premier League. I mean, in, in, in all of his appearances, he looked dangerous, even coming on a sub. It's a bit of a change, isn't it? Because back in your day, we signed a lot of players from the lower divisions, not just what was then the second division, but even lower than that. And they very often came into the first team and made an impact right away. I'm thinking, for just for one example, Wardy came from Oldham Athletic, didn't he? And he hadn't been long there from Northwich Victoria. And there's other examples too of players who, who could make that step up quite quickly. Do you think the gap's bigger now, Alvin? No, I don't think so. I don't think it is. I think the um, look, football obviously changes and, and it's very hard to compare players Sometimes, you know, what would they be like? I, I I think the one overriding factor whenever I discuss then and now is that the players that played in the 1930s or 40s or 60s or 80s, would all the best players would still be the best players now. And you can put them into the Premier League against whoever they're facing at this moment in time, give them the same um, tools in terms of pitches uh, and training and dietary, all of that stuff, and they would still be the best. So I think nothing's changed in my opinion, Sam, I think it, it you know, it, it, the faces, the names, the conditions, all of those things will change. But good players would have been good players. And I remember going into training sessions with Ronnie Boyce um, in my first year at West Ham in 1974. And Boyce had just finished with a back injury and hadn't played. But you know, when we, we used to play one touch in tiny little confined areas, he was unbelievable. I just couldn't believe how good he was. Now you could it, Boise could have played in this era, um, and Jeff Hurst and Bobby Moore, all of those top players could have played in in this era, this era as well. So I don't think that 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 has a, a bearing on it. I think that the reason that David didn't bring Bowen into into the games that were, were facing them at that moment in time is the difficulty of the fixtures, and he wanted to use him as a weapon. Now some people say, well, yeah, but you could have he might he might have won us a game. I think. It, I just looked at it from the manager's point of view. He knew that this was a, a one-off um, chance of, of having, having a major impact with with a, a player that could come in and do what Frank McIverney or Mark Ward did. But if he'd have come in and played the games, them tough fixtures, and, and nothing would have happened, 
then it's like you've played your card. So I t- totally understood that. And I think the, you know, the Southampton game I'll go back to, I think if and when the, uh, the, the season starts again and we, we do survive, I think we'll look back on the Southampton game and Bowen coming into these remaining games and having a major impact. Uh, Alvid, just touching on Bowen and signings, Moyes has always said if he's given the time, he wants to sign young, hungry players from the championship who have a point to prove. Because we've seen in the past, you know, West Ham signing players, you know, 28 and plus, perhaps for one last payday. And Moyes is like, I want to stop all of that and bring in young, exciting players. Do you think that should be, uh, you know, West Ham's model moving forward in the transfer market? Yeah, I, I thought, I, I, Rashman, I don't think you, you you can't say, all right, that's what we're going to do, lock, stock and barrel. Because I think, you know, you need an element of, of experience in there. And I know that everyone goes back to the Man United uh, game, you know, sort of era when they had a lot of young players all coming through at the same time. You know, if you do get that quality caliber of player coming through, you're obviously going to play them uh, and you are going to win things. But, you know, that, 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 that's a, a once in a, in, in a lifetime cycle when something like that happens. But I think, you know, what he is saying is we need an energy about us. And I, and I, I get that completely. Young players um, are, they, 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 they are energy intensified. And I think that's what we all want to see. I want to see a quick game of football. I don't want to see it manic where you're not seeing any quality on the ball, but I want to see real energy. And I think if, the, if there was one thing that maybe we lacked when we weren't winning games, it was that energy. It's, it, it just tails off. And I think young players inevitably spark off some of the older players as well. Uh, and it's getting that balance right. I think whenever you look at a team that is struggling for results and is lacking in confidence, as we were, I think, around Christmas time and before, then everything drops off. You, you don't realise that you were running harder. You, you weren't giving up a lost cause. You chase lost causes. And I think that's one thing that, uh, that young players epitomise. They, they they chase lost causes, and as an older player, you think, "What's he running after that for?" And blimey, something comes of it. So that energy is, is difficult to play against, and it's something that West Ham definitely have to have when we're playing our best football, as all teams are in the Premier League and all all the way through the tiers. There's an energy and an honesty about them, them teams that 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 is there, and it's not until you've lost it that you realise what it was. Well, Alvin, I matched West Ham weren't lacking in confidence. Was the one 0 win over Chelsea? Uh, you know, late last year. I mean, I want to take you back to that game because it was a match in which, you know, your son made his first team debut and the West Ham fans were amazing because that's what we heard the chart, you know, we have a chance, Martins and goal. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I took a picture of you and um, you and Dave after the match and it went viral on social media after. So yeah, talk me through, talk me through that game because it was a proud moment for you and the family. Roshane, I am, um, I'm often asked by by West Ham fans over the years. So, you know, how did you end up at West Ham? You know, you're from Liverpool. And at that time, it wasn't the, the norm. You know, the, the, the recruitment in the dressing room in 74 when I joined, you know, you had to be from Town or Barking uh, or, or out, out in the sticks somewhere like Chelmsford. <laughs> but Liverpool, it was, um, it, it was you know, it was very unusual. But I, I've been offered a, a contract, exactly the same money, £8 a week the first year, £10 a week the second year at Everton. And people do say, well, why would you turn that down and travel 220 miles to stay in digs uh, to a club like West Ham when you could have gone to Everton? And, you know, I think it's very hard to explain it sometimes. I, I, I can't understand it myself. But it is moments like the ones at Stamford Bridge before that game when I was actually watching 
the warm-up, and then the game's about to start. Even during the warm-up, David was warming up in front of the, uh, the West Ham fans. And the reception they gave to him, even before the game had started, was wonderful. It was, it was inspiring for David. And it was a very proud moment for me. And that was as good as, as the end of the game. To know that, that, that he, thousands of people behind that goal were willing David to do well and were going to do everything in their power to help him. It was, it was amazing. And it made me feel very proud. And it answers the question, that's why I ended up at West Ham. And that's why I stayed at that club all them years, because it's special. Do you think that we still retain that heart now as we did in, in those days? I mean, that was a highlight for all of us, particularly for you, but for all of us, just the sense that there was a return to something that was in our heritage with Dave getting into the team and, you know, that wonderful shot that Rashane took. I think, I think it swelled everyone's heart because for, for the first time in a long time, we felt like it was a throwback to that to the sort of legacy of the West Ham of old that you talk about and that family spirit and all the rest of it. And I often wonder, Alvin, there, there was a time, a bit like Liverpool had their boot room, where West Ham had that continuity. Um, there was a family in charge of the club. You know, Ron Greenwood passed the baton on to John Lyle and then John Lyle, you know, eventually, notwithstanding Lou Macari's cameo, it went to to Billy Bonds and then Harry Redknapp and there was you know there was always a connection over the last years we've we've changed manager a lot of times and we've and and it's not just the fact that we've moved the stadium do you think that we missed a trick by breaking that tradition breaking the the sort of the line of succession always having someone who who was who was a West Ham person either in charge or around the club hierarchy is, is that something you think is a shame oh, uh... Sam, it'd be, it'd be lovely to think that you could always have that connection. But I think the important thing is, as well is to get the best man for the job. Now, if he is West Ham, even better. But it, I think you, you must never be distracted away from somebody who's going to be good for the club, who hasn't got a connection with the club in terms of playing. So I'm, I'm always wary of that. But I, I think what West Ham has is an identity, always will have. The identity is clear. And a lot of clubs have got their own identity. Liverpool, you know, the, the, the Shankly days and Newcastle, you know, they, they, they've all got their own individual identity. And, and our club, I think, is, is special like that. I always think that my club is, is more special because it goes back to a long, long way where, for me, the 60s and, and the iconic Bobby Moore and, and Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters and the World Cup and the connection with the rest of the country through our club and those three players, I think the unity and the respect that the club had because of that time, we carried that with us for, for a long, long time and, and hopefully still do to this day. But we've got our own identity. We play a certain style of football. We are there for entertaining. Ron Greenwood, you know, is a, a fabulous man. Some of the names that you mentioned there, John Lyle and Ron Greenwood, and I've already mentioned people like Ronnie Boyce and Billy Bonds. They're, they're, they're synonymous with our club and they are proper, iconic uh, names, legends. That you know, they, they get stronger and bigger for me every day. Uh, so when I have gatherings and, and we have meetings and, and we have get-togethers, there's always a special bond at our club. And I think it's it, 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 it again, was an example um, when the, the stand at the Olympic Stadium the Billy Bond stand was opened and I emceed it on the pitch. To walk around the stadium 
on that day, Sam, alongside and behind Billy Bonds and his family, and look out. I was 10 metres away from, from, from all, all people around that stand. And to see men emotionally applauding, a lot of them crying because it took them back to what the club meant to them. That's a special bond. And uh, yeah. we go back to, to when we were talking about, you know, no football. To think of no football ever is unthinkable. It's unthinkable because that day when I walked around that pitch and, and the day I was at Stamford Bridge brings home to me the very worth and value of all of these clubs and, and the, 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 the things that the communities rely on and respond to and our, our, our conversation on a daily, hourly basis. The connections are so strong. I hope it lives on. I hope that when, you know, Mark Noble eventually retires, which uh, is like to happen in the next few years, that we still have that link on the pitch as well, Alvin. Because it is important, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, Mark, you know, I know that David's been, you know, within the, the dressing room walls and he knows the role of Mark, especially, I think, in times of uh, of distress and and turbulence. Mm. That's when you need people to be honest with each other and you need a captain that is going to say the right things for the right reasons. You know, Mark can be relied on to do that. And uh, I think some of the games that are coming up, we're going to need people who lead. We're going to need people who who don't take a step back, who take a step forward at the right times Mm. and then respond to the crowd. You know, and I think some of these games that are going to be played Unfortunately, in my opinion, are going to be played behind closed doors. We've got to get the season done, and we're not going to be able to rely on the crowd. I did it once, all them years ago, uh, in the ghost game that was played at the Bowling, and it's it's a, it's a weird experience. But I think that's what we've got coming now. And when you haven't got a crowd to feed off and demand of you, you've got to try and do it yourself. And that's when I think captains and leaders in the dressing room are going to be going out onto the pitch and, and making sure that everyone who pulls on a West Ham shirt, knows the gravity and the importance of the games. Alvin, remind us of that ghost game. I don't remember that. We we played a game in uh, in Madrid uh, after we won the FA Cup in 1980, Sam. And um, right. the first leg uh, was against a team called Castilla. Yeah. And it was at the Bernabeu and there was trouble uh, at the game and outside the, the stadium. And consequence of that is that we were, I think, initially ordered to play the game 220 miles away in or 30 miles away in, in Middlesbrough anyway that was quashed and we were allowed to play the game <laughs> at home in front of an empty stadium um, I think it was 262 people including press and, and, and directors wives and directors etc and we uh, we were 3-1 down from the first leg uh, so there was a lot of work to be done and it's just that's when we would have relied on the crowd the first 10 or 15 minutes to unsettle the opposition to create an atmosphere, maybe a couple of near misses that would would would, would you know get them wobbling a bit, mm, and then we mm. we we feed off the crowd. But that night there wasn't any of that, and it was a, a really surreal experience. You know, we ended up getting the job done. David Cross scored a hat trick, went into extra time, and, and we went through. But um, one of the strangest nights I ever had at the bowling. Uh, Alvin, last question on that Chelsea match where. David made his debut. I mean, how did you guys celebrate? Because he kept a clean sheet and he made a number of good saves. So it must, you guys, did you guys have drinks after to go to a club? <laughs> well, 
I, I can tell you that, you know, I don't know if you've got kids, uh, I know Sam has, and when they play sport and um, especially the, the, it doesn't matter, you know, about playing at Stamford Bridge, it could be a, a park game that you know is important to your kid. And so you can get nervous, especially when he plays in goal. So I think the, 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 the experience can be daunting and <laughs> unnerving when you are watching. So the, the, the end, the, the whistle at the end, I think I understand exactly where Dave was because Dave was in a position, Shane, which I think you'll understand as a West Ham fan. He didn't want to let anyone down. He didn't want to let the fans down. He didn't want to let himself or his family down. He didn't want to let me down. So I knew how he built it up. So when the final whistle went and they'd won the game 1-0, there was a, a, an immense relief to what he'd been through. So, of course, when he walked up, and as you know, you were there, the uh, the, the press area where I, where I was quietly watching the game is only just behind one of the dugouts. So he was able to access that area. And I waved to him, and I expected just to then float away with the crowd. But when I seen him walking up to me, I went, oh, no, he's going to walk mm-hmm. up to me, and I know I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> of course, when he got a yard away from me, he got emotional, I got emotional. But then I realised I've got to go now because I can't let this go on. And I, you know, <laughs> I said, Dave, go on. Well done, I'm proud of you. And, and that was when I turned and walked away. And I went with the throngs of Chelsea supporters walking back over the bridge, uh, 50 minutes walk away to, to my car. Uh, and I made a phone call on, on the bridge because my mum's not being well. She's 88 now and she'd had a, you know, a stroke and she had a fall in the hospital, broke her hip. So she'd been, we'd had a, a really difficult six months. So that phone call to my mum after the game was one that I'll never forget when I was walking over the bridge. And you think, is this really happened? Did that just really happen? And it's it, it it can lift you so high football, um, and 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 that's a day that our family will never ever forget. Alvin, it was such a special moment for all of us. I remember I dropped you a text on the day because in in the midst of such a, a bleak time for West Ham, it, we knew the season was going badly. It had been such a humiliating run for us, and then for us to win in any circumstances against Chelsea at their place, but. You know, to see you and your lad celebrating afterwards, and for him to have turned in that performance, it was. It was. I think, Rashane, you got to agree. Whatever happens now, it'll be the moment of the season, won't it? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, fingers crossed, we stay up. Nothing can top that moment. I mean, that was just a beautiful moment. And you know, after the match, I was tasked with a mission to try and uh, track down Sullivan, and even even he said that was just so beautiful. That moment, so special. So, yeah, everyone's in agreement with that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash irons and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to you irons, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment and... A beery snack is thrown in as well. Just go to beer52.com slash irons to get your case free. And don't forget, 
Right now, you Irons listeners get two extra free beers. Okay, uh, lads, time to turn our attentions to uh, classic goals now. I don't know about you two, but I have been, you know, trying to deal with the football lockdown by watching a hell of a lot of old vintage football online. So the chance to look at some of my favourite West Ham goals on YouTube over the last day or so has been absolutely brilliant. I've loved it. Um, not, I've got. I'll tell you now, Alvin. I haven't selected any Alvin Martin goals. I mean, I, I, I could have selected all three of your goals against Newcastle United, for example. I didn't, but you have featured in a lot of the clips I've been watching. So you, you've played your role. But I just wanted to get that out of the way now, Alvin, in case you were, you know, getting excited that you were going to make this top three. I don't know Rashane's yet. I know he's written about them online. I haven't had a chance to look yet, Rashane. I apologise. Talk us through them and then talk us about the reaction you've had to your top three West Ham yeah. goals. So in third place is uh, Ravel Morrison's brilliant solo goal against Tottenham in 2013, I think it was. And I mean, yeah. that goal was just like beautiful. He skipped past about four players. He like he celebrated before the goal even crossed the line. So I thought yeah. that goal was just too good to not even put in this list. Second, yeah. my second choice, a bit bit controversial, but you know, you had a number of injury problems at West Ham and I just felt like the goal was just so beautiful not to put on the list as well. So that's Andy Carroll's overhead kick against um, Crystal Palace in 2017. I mean, beautiful goal. And then, I mean, first choice, I think it's everyone's first choice, really. Paolo De Canio's incredible goal where he defied gravity against Wimbledon in the year 2000. I mean, everyone's in agreement about that's number one. I mean, you can look back at it now. It's one of those goals which you never tire of watching. It's like a classic film. You can watch it over and over again. So yeah, so that's my top three goals. Yeah, it's spectacular. Uh, did you did did you struggle between you know the goals that you just thought were technically the best and the ones that sort of meant a lot emotionally to you, Rashane? Well, it's worth mentioning. I'm 26, so yeah, it's all fairly recent. So, um, well, obviously, barring that, the Canyon goal. So yeah, I, I feel like the best technical goal is obviously the Canyon because he's I mean midway in the year. When I spoke to John Moncurf at Pete, he said he was already moaning at the canyon when he was in the air. So there's that. And then obviously, Ravel Morris's goal is incredible. So, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll agree with you in a, in a sense of, you know, the technical ability behind each goal was, uh, was the reason behind they all made the top three. All right. Uh, I think we're going to leave yours till last, Alvin, because uh, you're the, you, you know, you can tell us whether we're right or wrong. You're the one who knows what you're talking about. We don't. Um, so I'm going to do mine, but I'm going to tell you about my criteria. The criteria is a little bit what the technically best ones were, but I also want to um, be a bit clever, you know, to show off a bit. Just choose ones that maybe not everyone would have remembered or chosen automatically. Um, uh, for that reason, I've left Decanio out. I couldn't bring myself to mention... <laughs> I, I just could not bring myself to talk about the Decanio goal because I've talked about it too much. I've talked about yeah. too much. I respect your decision. Yep. But here's here's mine, right? Hold on, hold on, Sam. Sam, before you start, I'll be very disappointed mm. if Samasia Boo is not is not in this mm. not on your list. I, can't, <laughs> I kind of I remember theoretically Samasia Boo scoring goals for us, <laughs> but I can't remember. I can't visualize any of them. Um, right, number three, a man close to Alvin's heart, uh, a goal that I remember really blew my mind when I saw it. I wasn't there because it was an away game. At Aston Villa in 1989. Do you know what one I'm going to mention, Alvin? 
away at Villa. Wonder goal. Young man called Paul Ince. Paul Ince, yeah, I was just going to say Ince, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, powerful it was, run. Yeah, it's when he first broke into the team. And so it's always exciting when you, you know, uh, as a youngster, I would have been 14 and you're excited about a, a new lad breaking into the first team. You've heard all these things about him. And I heard on the radio, West Ham's new youngster has scored a wonder goal. So I was so excited to when I saw the clip later on, on TV. And he, it's actually, you're defending a corner. I believe you were playing in the game, Alvin. Yeah. Uh, defending a corner, it gets headed out, and he just picks it up on the edge of the box and runs. In my in my memory, he did a Maradona and went round eight defenders. But in actual fact, <laughs> in actual fact, yeah, it's so funny when you watch classic goals that you remember being there for, or you remember from the time you watch them back on YouTube. Very often, what I've discovered in my research for this, they're not as good as you remember them. <laughs> when you're a kid, especially, yeah. you regard every goal as a Roy of the Rovers goal. Like I'll give you an example, Alvin. One that sprang straight into my head that I was going to select, but then when I watched it on YouTube, it was nowhere near how I remembered it. it was Stuart Slater against Everton in the cup in yeah. what was that ninety one? Was it? Yeah. yeah uh, the the night when when we beat and Colin Foster scored the other one, and and he'd run them ragged all night, Slater yeah. hadn't he? Um, but the actual goal, I mean, it's a decent goal, but in my mind, he'd literally run down the whole left wing and beaten every Everton player, left them on their backside. In fact, he just faints inside Keown and knocks a bit of a, a P-roller into the inside post. So it's funny how things aren't quite how you remember them. But Paul Ince, he is unchallenged, but he runs right from the edge of our area to about 30 yards out from the Villa box and curls the most astonishing, unstoppable um, shot into the top left-hand corner of the goal. Um, and I've got a, a lot of emotional memories about that because, of course, that was before we collectively fell out with Paul Ince, let's yeah. say. Um, you know, he was so he was so quick, Ince, yeah. so quick, Sam. I remember we, um, I think the, the quickest player we thought we had in our dressing room uh, when Ince came into it was Frank McAvenny, mm. and Frank was rapid, really, mm. really quick. And I remember we we set up a, uh, a race between um, Mark Ward and Paul Ince and and, um, and then we had Frank against somebody and Frank won his race and Ince won his and Ince went come on Frank me and you'll have a go it was a 60 yard race and um, I don't know about 10 yards away from, from the line they were, they were pretty close but then Ince was just like cruising you see it was like cru- and, and Frank's arms were going you know somebody when they, when they start to lose their coordination <laughs> Ince won, won the race he was, he was so so quick Frank may have been hung over, Alvin, <laughs> <laughs> which is, puts him at a slight disadvantage. He might want a rerun sober. Um, now, again, I don't know whether when Paul Ince scored this goal, it was before or after you had had to lay him out, Alvin. Um, I'd like to think it was afterwards, and this was his response to the discipline you dished out to him. So I can um, take, take a bit of credit, can I? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he'd straightened himself out. He wanted he wanted to prove himself to you. He wanted to seek forgiveness from you. <laughs> we got on really well. You know, I always, I mean, you know, you know the story. And I think it was in Incy's book and it was in um, Mark Ward's book. But uh, yeah, there was there was a bit of advice, that, physical advice that I, I was able to give to Incy. I'd like to think he took it on board. And um, he, he laughs about it now. He laughs about it. But yeah, I, I do think sometimes with Paul Ince, you know, people now associate the relationship between West Ham fans and Paul Ince just about the negatives because of the manner in which he left and, and the sort of abuse we dished out to him after that. 
But as a result, people can forget how spectacular he was when he first came into the side. He was a very, very good player. And some West Ham fans sort of forget about that and just think about the circumstances under which he left. Anyway, my number two is um, not just for its technical brilliance, but because of the what it sparked at Upton Park was one of the greatest moments, atmosphere, crowd-wise, that I've ever experienced in my years of going. And that was Matty Edrington in the second leg of the playoff semi-final against Ipswich Town in 2004. And the I think we were a goal down from the first leg at Portman Road. And, you know, there was a big atmosphere. Alan Pardew had G'd all the fans up in advance, say, you know, we're a goal down. We need the whole crowd to be absolutely jumping. And we were. And it was a tremendous atmosphere. And quite early in the game, the pressure was on. We were a goal down. Edrington came short for a corner from the right. He cut in. And from an improbably acute angle, he curled one into the opposite corner, uh, direct from this corner. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I rewatched it. It was every bit as good as I remember it, as a matter of fact. And uh, the crowd, who were already jumping that night, went absolutely berserk. And it just sort of sparked something off in the crowd and the team that meant it was never in doubt after that. We absolutely overran it. Do you remember that night, Alvin? Uh, well, I do remember that night. And I remember the atmosphere. Because I was at the game and I, I took David with me to the game. Right. Now, I don't know how David was. He'd have been about 18, I think. But um, I remember before the game, the, the atmosphere was electric. And I looked at Dave and Dave went, Dad, he said, all the hairs on the back of my head are standing up. He said, it's like, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. And you, that's how excited David was to be there. And, you know, like when you, you think about what's happened this season from then to, to now, yeah. it's, it, it's, 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 it's so, it can only happen in football, can't it? You know, that it was to think that you know all those years later, David was going to be mm. at West Ham at the age that he was, and and the memories that he's got to take from this season. It's, uh, it's and, it, it, and and he was responsible really for generating an atmosphere, although we were away, um, an atmosphere that was similar because yeah. the, the West Ham fans that day were incredible, and it was really because he was there. That's yeah. right. It's it, yeah, and it shows you, you know that. that Look, people talk about the stadium and stuff like that. Look, I still believe that all the generations uh, that have been passed down, whether it be at the bowling ground or now at the, uh, you know, at the London Stadium, that that will never leave us. I think that when the, when there's a a game that's got to be won, the 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 atmosphere will be there. It, it's guaranteed. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's this. It's very much the spirit of Villa Park, isn't it? When we're in that famous semi-final, which we were, which we were robbed in by Forest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, just that that day, which is probably the most famous performance, let's say, of West Ham fans ever. You know, that took place outside of Upton Park in a completely different stadium. So it just goes to show, you know, we can still generate that atmosphere when we need to. Yeah, uh, wherever yeah. we are. Right. Talking of which. My final goal, um, uh, which again, I'm talking about for significance, but I do think it's an underrated goal technically because it was controversial and significant. So people focus on it for other reasons. But I was at the game at Old Trafford last day of the season, 2007, where we had to beat Manchester United champions to stay up. And Carlos Tevez scored his famous goal to win 1-0. Now, people remember that goal for the controversy, uh, for the significance, for what happened afterwards with Sheffield United and all the rest of it. And uh, as a result, people don't talk about it in terms of what a, an amazing goal it was. I mean, Carlos Tevez 
if ever there was an example of the ball being almost willed into the net, he was a man who was he was going to score that goal and nothing was going to stop him. Long hopeful, hopeful punt up front. He brings it down. He gets it to Zamora. He takes the return and it spins up off of the defender's foot. And he looks like he's completely lost control of it because it's taken this unlucky deflection. And I think, Alvin, that, you know, nine times out of ten, most strikers would have given up on it because it spins away from him and it looks like it's going to be the keeper's ball. But he carries on. He somehow plucks it out of the air, an awkward ball to pluck out the air one touch, and then shoots and scores uh, from a very tight angle. I think, you know, rewatch the goal. People forget, but that is a magnificent goal. And it's also one of the most significant goals in West Ham's history. So I decided to go for that, Rashane, over to Canio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, great goal. It was a really good goal. So I agree yeah. with that. And you know what? Not long ago, I spoke to Marley Harold about that match, and he was like, after afterwards, everyone's going crazy in the chat in the dressing room. <laughs> everyone's going yeah. ballistic. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Blimey, what a day out that was. Um, uh, Alvin, were you at that game at Old Trafford? No, I wasn't. I was working somewhere else. But uh, yeah, certainly, look, they 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 impacts, aren't they? Major impacts mm. on on the club. Um, obviously, quality goals, but they're, they're still vital moments in our history. And I think, yeah, you know, I think Machine's gone for um, for, for guile and for delicacy and mm. and talented uh, execution. You've gone for like maybe some moments that that have um, resonated and, and been written into the the folklore of West Ham. Yeah, emotional moments. Okay, right, uh, Alvin, tell us yours then. Well, I've I've gone a similar route to you in terms of. You know moments in our history that um, the, the big goals. You know I haven't picked them because they're, they're of their quality, but just the the the, the moments and, and 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 the impact it had on me as, as a player. The first one I'd go for go all the way back to 1964 in in the FA Cup final, and we we won the FA Cup and people like you know Jeff Hurst and, and Bobby Moore and Ronnie Boyce. And Ronnie Boyce obviously had, had a significant impact on my career, Sam. I, I joined up in 1974, and sometimes you have like a perfect scenario that that just falls in your lap. I picked the right club at the right time with the right manager, uh, Ron Greenwood, and behind him, just ready to come to the fore, was, was John Lyle. I wasn't to know that. And then the first season I turned apprentice for West Ham, I was lucky enough that Ronnie Boyce had just retired from playing, and he was my manager. What you know? Could could you have a better start? Yeah, and I think the goal that he scored, uh, the winning goal in extra time against Preston, a header, was was a fan- fantastic moment because it was it was reward for for, for Ron Greenwood and, and the academy and the start of you know just prior to to those three players winning the World Cup, you know with West Ham players, obviously Martin Peters, Jeff Hurst and, and Bobby Moore. And to score a goal in in the in the last minute with with you know that 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 sort of caliber of team was a, was a lovely moment, and Ronnie Boyce will always have a place in my heart because of the way he helped me actually forge my career. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. What's your number two? Number two, another impact goal connected to the FA Cup again, um, and a, a weird celebration. I didn't play in this game. I um, got tonsillitis after the semi-final. Against Aston Villa, uh, against um, Everton uh, at Aston Villa in the semi-final of the FA Cup, and I, I obviously contracted this tonsillitis that kept me in bed for about a week or ten days, and I had to listen to this game at Ellen Road in the replay against Everton, 
and it was excruciatingly painful. My mum and dad were up there uh, looking after me, and we had to listen to it on a transistor radio, an old transistor radio. And in the final moments, the the, the commentator screamed, "Lampard scores!" And, and what's Lampard doing up there? Well, what, he's got that wrong. And then it had that that wonderful little celebration running around the the corner flag. He just did it spontaneously. It was a, a wonderful moment. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, like you think, well, that's it. We, we're through. We're, we're through to the FA Cup final. I played in every game, and then I started to think, like, now nah, I've got to get. I've got to get better for this for this game. You know, you, yeah, you're looking wow. forward to, to playing in, in, in an FA Cup final. So it was a it was a, it was a muted celebration in, in, the, yeah. in the way I felt. But like, it, it was just a, a, a weird one as well. Sitting upstairs in a bedroom with a transistor radio, listening to it with my mum and dad. And knowing that the uh, we had it, we had, we were faced with the prospect of obviously playing and hopefully winning in the cup final, and a goal that uh, uh, you know a legendary West Ham song that we still sing from time to time to this day uh, was devoted to. I'm dreaming of a Frank Lampard. Yeah, and then and then years later, young Frank did the celebration. He, he uh, replicated the celebration, didn't he? It's, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. again another another great family moment in, in connection. Um, we were talking to John Monker last week on the podcast and he was telling us about a uh, falling out that he'd had back in the old days with Vial Berkovic and how the, he said, you know, when we had to have a, a peace talks in Harry's office, he went, Frank Senior was there, obviously. And we said, oh, what, what do you mean, obviously? And he said, well, Frank was very hard. And if ever there was any like problems that we thought might get physical, Frank always had to be there. I never knew that Frank Senior. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. You look at the man; he looks like a very—he doesn't look like a man to be trifled with. But yeah. I never realised that was his reputation as a as such a hard man. I, you know, because in those days, I suppose we had Billy Bonds, who was regarded as our number one hard man. Yeah, I think. Look, in, in, in training um, sessions, you, you know, the, there's, there's always um, a element of right there's a ball bounce down between us we're, we're competitors but if it bounces in between billy bonds and you 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 don't go too hard on billy bonds if it bounces <laughs> down between billy bonds and frank lampard there's there's a respect there that says right okay <laughs> don't 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 overstep the mark there because it, it, it could flare up so frank can handle himself i think i remember one player won't mention his name but like um in a train session having a bit of um a communication with Frank and disrespectfully, I think Frank's thought, and he walked over and confronted Frank, and I think he regretted that. <laughs> <laughs> so he could handle himself, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, number one is, is the, the the first game I ever started uh, for West Ham, and it was in 1977. It was away at Ellen Road, and um, you realise it's a big game, come on a substitute the, the week before. We'd won a game and then uh, we're playing Leeds at Ellen Road. And we got a, a free kick, uh, just, uh, I reckon, on the edge of the apex of, of the 18-yard box. And Billy Bonds and Trevor Brooking stood over it. And Trevor ran up to the ball and I made the run. And he put a ball, as you would expect, absolutely spot on for me. And it, I remember rocking it. it. It hit my head and it, it went with so much force. It went underneath the bar. So it was my first goal on my my full debut uh, against Leeds for West Ham. Uh, it was an important goal, and Steve Bacon took a picture. And in the background, my dad was up in the director's box. It was it was my debut, and in the background you could see 
as the ball's hitting the net, my dad going up, jumping with his arms up in the air. So it was a, it was a special goal for me in that respect. And uh, it's one that obviously I think it played, you know, it just set me on the way, Sam. It was, it was a great, great moment for me. Alvin, when a great goal is scored in a game you're playing in, do you realise at the time, wow, that's a great goal? Or are you in such a, a mindset that you just keep getting on with it and you don't realise sometimes until you see it back on telly later? I mean, you know, do you remember any goal being scored either by a teammate or, in fact, against you, where it's sort of knocked the wind out and you were like, Jesus, I've just witnessed something, uh, I've just witnessed a classic? Not, not against me, because, you know, you don't look at it like that. You just, uh, I, I, I took it as a personal insult, every goal that went in against us. But certainly when you've, you, your team scores wonderful goals, you, you, you admire them. But I was a miserable sod, Sam. Miserable. I would not <laughs> celebrate a goal unless I knew the game was won. So, right. I, I, you know, the, the, right. a lot of sports must have looked at me and gone, oh, he's, he's miserable, that Alvin Martin. He never, he never celebrates. Yeah. But I would only celebrate when I knew that they couldn't come back at us. So yeah. it was it was business until the final whistle went. It, it, look, if we were three 0 up with, a, with 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 ten minutes to go and somebody had scored the third goal, I'd celebrate that right. because I knew the game was won. Brilliant! Well, that's great leadership. That's it. That's why you're our skipper. You're keeping everyone's <laughs> he heads in the game. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to absolutely, that. absolutely wonderful stuff, Alvin. Really appreciate during this difficult time you uh, spend the time to look back over all of those great moments with us. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, uh, Rashane, great to speak to you as always. Um, what's the uh, what's the reaction to, to your article? I know people can go and read it. Is there uh, a lot of anger towards your choices? Well, everyone everyone's debating the uh, Andy Carroll, Andy Carroll goal. I think I should have picked something right. else. But apart from that, let's think it's spot on in terms of the Canyon being number one and Ron Morrison being in uh, the third, third spot. So, right. yeah, I'll give myself a pat on the back for that list. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right, well, we'll all go and have a read of that. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, fellas, thanks very much for your time. And uh, ladies and gents, until next time, stay safe, stay well. And remember, there's only there's one. There's only one, Celestia, Celestia Boo. Celestia boo. <laughs>